then several newspaper articles and one of them is this the best hot chocolate in the world i never said that they did and i love them forever welcome to the founders this is the podcast where we dig into the startup stories of some of the most exciting and innovative businesses by speaking to the founders themselves i'm alex and in this episode we're speaking to the founder of knoops jens knoop Knoops first opened in 2013, selling their unique chocolate drinks, which you can craft and customize down to the percentage of chocolate used. And the first customer that came in wanted a double espresso and almost jumped over the counter and said, why? Um, fine. It got better then and they went into the chocolate eventually. Jens has since opened 10 stores nationwide with more on the way and tells us about how he's able to teach his passion to staff so the Knoop's experience is the same wherever you go. So my surname is Knoop. Knoop means button. And we are working with chocolate buttons. And, and to be honest, it doesn't matter how you pronounce it, just enjoy your hot chocolate and come back. COVID had a big impact on Knoop's with acting as a catalyst for diversifying their revenue streams. However, Jens also speaks about the moment where he sensed the mood change and the rise in COVID-related anxiety with his customers. When I started sensing the anxiety level of the customers, takeaway cups, don't touch my cup, keep the change. And, and of course, you had these big plans and everybody's ready to full throttle, go ahead. And suddenly there's this very dark cloud coming. This is Jens Knoop, founder of Knoops. Enjoy. Jens, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Alex. So before founding Knoops in 2013, can you tell us a little bit about your career that led up to that? How far do you want me to go back? I've done everything. I've done a little bit of everything, but I was a very keen photographer. When I left school in Germany, in Hamburg, I started working as a photographer for newspapers, but then toyed with the idea of studying photography with a more fine art approach. And England was calling me. A lot of my friends moved from Hamburg to England, specifically to Bournemouth, to study fine art photography. So I went over, studied for three years, um, got my degree in fine art photography and was jobless, of course. Um, the artist that never makes any money. But I also didn't want to move into digital photography, which was essential to get paid. Nobody wanted to wait for a film to be developed. So that's when I started um, looking at other job options. And there is a bridge here to chocolate. I know it's very wide winded here, but this is about understanding people and what their desire is, uh, what they what they want to have. And I started working for an American video streaming company that because of my audio video background with photography, I was live streaming focus groups from around the world. I traveled all over the world, um, a lot in Asia, a lot of Europe and North America as well. And I loved it because I was sitting in these um, focus groups in the room and I was listening to the consumers, um, what their desires were, uh, what they aspire to be. And I had this defining moment when I was in China, uh, when I saw the consumers talking about what they wanted. And I'm, I'm sure we will talk about this defining moment later on, but that's when I started listening more carefully to the consumers 
And it was a small affordable luxury I heard again and again and again. Something that makes you feel special, a treat, the occasional treat that elevates you physically, mentally, but doesn't break the bank. And that was one of the last jobs I did, besides being also a poor bicycle career in London, that inspired me to look for what do people want without breaking the bank. And that led me to chocolate in 2012 and 2013. That's a really interesting statement that you've just made around what you'd noticed in focus groups, because our perspective from that is we're an agency that works a lot in beauty. And we were talking about the fact that the other day that beauty as a niche is relatively recession proof. And there's this uh, idea of a lipstick effect um, that happens during a recession, which is based on what you've said, specifically related to beauty, even though it does have the word lipstick in it, it sounds like the idea of having a treat that doesn't break the bank survives many troubling times, I guess. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting that you see that expanding outside of beauty, but into lots of different things that, that have that experience of being a treat or being something that you can do that just lifts your spirits somewhat regardless of what's going on in the world. It is that lipstick or the belt or just something that transforms your mood, that transports you somewhere else. And yes, that I think the lipstick you just talked about is that defining object of it's a recession, nobody has money, but they still want to treat themselves. And the lipstick is the symbol of that. For others, it's a belt. And for us, it's the chocolate. You've got this concept of you know that you want to satisfy that kind of need for being able to treat yourself but something that is not out of reach regardless of the amount that you earn how did you land on chocolate various angles i would say so i always had a very strong childhood relationship with um, chocolate this it was the ceremonial treat my grandmother gave was very young as a reward for having behaved a full day without causing any trouble but it was very ceremonial and it was it was never binge eating it was always small pieces of chocolate always milk chocolate obviously but it was this okay sit down hands clean um, on the armchair here's a piece of chocolate on a special plate so very ceremonial very precious moments I, I treasure quite a lot and that always followed me I always had small pieces of chocolate and I always loved it I mean who doesn't love chocolate but in 2012 I was living in central London at that time and, and when it was getting colder towards the winter I was walking through central London and I could not find a decent hot chocolate There were two extremes, and I'm not judging them, but there were fine chocolatiers that had a very limited range of chocolate drinks, and I very much appreciated them, but they were also very expensive and a very limited range. And then there were the big coffee chains that had the chocolate drinks as just another product. That wasn't their main focus, but I guess they had to offer hot chocolates um, because of the parents coming with their kids. But the quality level was different find different so nobody had choices and i thought nobody offered a good quality and a good range and i did more research uh, all over europe um, to see if it happened there and of course um, spain italy and france have a certain relationship with chocolate drinks but again no choice and that's where i thought okay 
I have to dive into this. So my previous job working for the video streaming company uh, came to an end unless I moved to the US where the headquarters were. I was um, manager of technical services globally. And if I wanted to pursue the career, I would have to move to the US or I start something new. So this was the opportunity to explore a new field that doesn't exist anywhere. Certainly not to, to that degree I wanted to pursue it. And from there, you opened your first store in 2013 in East Sussex. <laughs> and what was that process like? And also, so you've kind of described the frustration of not being able to get a good hot chocolate or chocolate drink. So that kind of explains to me why you opened a store. But obviously, when you're faced with that issue, there are two routes to go down. You could create a, would you call it a mass market product that you would stock on shelves and speak to retailers and try and create packaging and etc. Or you create a store. Why was it that you chose to open a store specifically rather than tackle it from another angle, maybe starting a D2C store or something like that? And what was that process like? Well, actually, very simple answer. I have no retail experience. I wouldn't know where to start at that time. But of course, I was very close to the customers to be due to the market research experience I had. So I, I could talk to them and I was always better on that side anyway. But producing the product and putting onto the shelf, I think you need experience for that, which I didn't have. So also this beautiful building in Rye in East Sussex just literally fell into my lap and was offered to me. I had to take that opportunity. I knew there were paths to come in the future to go maybe into retail and more branches outside Rye. But I had to start somewhere and it was a gut feeling and I had to do it very quickly. And it really was an overnight decision to just explore this. I knew it would work because chocolate drinks have been around for 5,000 years. They haven't been gone away. They are one way or another present in most cultures. Nobody has dived into that to bring it to a wider audience at a higher quality level. So I knew there was something there, but I had to start. And when I opened the store on the 18th of April in 2013, I had no idea what I would do during the summer. Because, of course, everybody would drink hot chocolate during the summer. That changed very quickly, and I added the milkshakes to it as well. But I just had to do it. It was a gut feeling. Now is the time. More chocolate was coming onto the market I could work with. So I just did it and went for it. You've got all of this experience with streaming focus groups, and you've gained an understanding of what people like. You've landed on the idea of chocolate and opening the store. It feels like there's a significant amount of market research, or was that literally just your brain was connecting the dots and the idea of opening a, I suppose, more luxurious chocolate drink store, that's what your brain arrived at. I'm just wondering if was there like a two page business plan that you put together that you said, okay, this is going to work or did your brain just kind of, you know, subconsciously connect the dots between the fact that it was the right time, it might work well and just kind of offer up this as the gut feeling. Yeah, the latter. Funny you mentioned the business plan because when I, when I was speaking to the landlady of that building in Rye, she asked me for a business plan. And of course, I was standing there with the biggest question mark over my head. I just had to justify that this was a gut feeling based on my palate and my desire and my childhood with chocolate. 
based on the consumer research I've done for, I think it was almost nine years globally, um, listening to focus groups, and then also scouting the chocolate market globally and seeing where the trend, what trends there are, what kind of hot chocolate trends there are, and I just couldn't see anything. Um, I knew more chocolate was coming onto the market, better quality from different origins, but their chocolate drinks were just not awake yet. So it was a mix, yes. The knowledge I gained from previous years, the actual market research, looking at other countries, including the UK, obviously what's happening, and then my gut feeling and my chocolate-fueled childhood. And so how do you go from idea? Because I feel like people are familiar with coffee shops and might be using that as a template to understand for anyone that hasn't been to your store as a template to understand what it it may consist of but how do you build a unique experience and a unique store how did you know what to do and what to build so that you could open on a first day? So, yes, I, I mean, if you walk into a coffee shop, you will not get 22 different coffees. So it's coming from a slightly different angle. For example, the design of the first store was very much inspired by sushi bars where the customer is watching the chef preparing the sushi and then handing it over. And that's why I was also so proud of handing over a bowl of hot chocolate to the customer. And I think this is the idea I had as a concept, handing over a bowl of hot chocolate rather than an espresso, for example. But of course, I knew as well that it does look like a coffee shop from the outside. There's a big coffee machine, espresso machine in that store that is used for making the hot chocolates. But you're standing in front of a menu that has 22 different chocolates on the wall. It's a massive menu board, especially if you come into the rice store. There's an A4 sheet for each percentage, uh, which describes how sweet it is, where it's coming from, and the flavor notes. You don't get that in a coffee shop. And so you've designed your store, you've got all the, the kit that you need, your ingredients. Did you work it yourself or did you staff the store? Oh, I didn't expect it to be very busy at the beginning. And I opened on a Thursday, actually, I think it was a Thursday. And the first customer that came in wanted a double espresso and almost jumped over the counter and said, why? Um, fine. It got better then and they went into the chocolate eventually. But yes, and then the locals approached me and said, oh, I think you need help. And yes, I did, of course, because very quickly it got very busy, especially over the weekends. But yes, it just shows how naive and inexperienced I was in terms of retail. So there was this drive and the fantasy and the desire to do this, but the actual reality of it that caught up with me very quickly. So having relatively little retail experience, how did you go about, because I'm assuming it's just you coming up with everything. Did you know how to price things effectively so you you could price in your your margin your overheads the cost of the uh, ingredients and operation and all of these things did those kinds of things surprise you in terms of what you would need to charge or didn't need to charge what was your experience like deciding on how to cost things out i guess simple maths but also my accountant said straight from day one you must draw a small salary. It was tiny, obviously, but 
if you can't draw a small salary from day one on, you will be in trouble. You must calculate that into the costs. No, I mean, I mean, I had friends and family who helped me out costing it appropriately and giving me advice when it comes to insurance and, and sourcing and, of course, tax returns and all that and VAT thresholds. And, but that's where your friends and family kick in to support you. And, and now I have a fantastic team doing that for me, obviously, because I still can't do it. I have a CFO dealing with all that and I love it very dearly. But uh, yes, um, I wouldn't be able to do that. So yes, at the beginning, it was based on the support of family and friends to advise me on everything I wasn't interested in, but of course, which is half the business, if not more. So that first store went, went well and you now have nine stores with three more opening soon, including Manchester in mm -hmm. a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. How did you go from that first store where you, I assume, built up a reputation for yourself and the brand? How did you go from that first store to being able to replicate that in multiple other locations? So I always knew, I had this gut feeling that there is potential, but I, I also knew that I would need help to roll it out, to make it bigger, to open more stores. So I was always open for other people approaching me because I was never out there seeking um, investors or business partners. But that's me not thinking about that practically. It's me just making a bowl of hot chocolate and handing it over to the customer. Um, I think what helped was at that time TripAdvisor, which was very popular then. Now it has changed a little bit. But suddenly I was number one TripAdvisor East Sussex. And we have fantastic restaurants there. So, which was a big surprise, but it puts you on the map. Then several newspaper articles, and one of them, is this the best hot chocolate in the world? I never said that. They did, and I love them forever. But that puts you on the map. People read that, and um, certainly the local community is filled with pride then as well, that a small shop like this, doing something different, is noticed outside and in a bigger scope. And that, of course, attracts conversation about, would you like to rule this out? And there were good proposals and there were bad proposals and lazy proposals. And the biggest proposal then arrived in the form and shape of my now executive chairman, William Gordon Harris, who pulled me aside about, I think it's now three years ago, and asked how I feel about rolling it out. And I, I was always open for the discussion. It just had to be the right partner and the right team with it. And so you've got your flagship store and you're now running and opening multiple stores. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about your background and I assumed you're more passion driven and almost artistic in your approach. I'm asking this because I have a similar background in videography and I feel like the way that I approach business is very emotionally led and experience led. Did, did you ever battle with the passion versus the logistics of a business? Um, no, because exactly, just like you, it's passion driven, absolutely, certainly from my side. And that's why I have people left, right and center with me who are just the opposite to me. So we are becoming the team that is pushing that forward and everybody has their strength. Yes, a lot of people did say at the beginning, oh, it's never going to be the same and you're selling your soul and Rye without you will not be the same and so on and so on. I mean, 
I'm trying very hard to prove them wrong by just bringing authenticity and a footprint of myself into every store. And that's why we have a team together that knows what my philosophy is, how I deal with customers, what I see in the customers and the quality of the product. And that that is replicated in every store, maybe in Manchester, in Bath, in Rye, in Brighton, in Knightsbridge. Um, I want that feeling the customer gets when they come in and leave to be the same in every store store, no matter from what culture they're coming, ethnicity, age, gender. What I set out to do in Rye, I want to happen in Manchester and in Brighton. I know it's a big task because you're depending on a lot of people, but the philosophy within the whole company is understood. It brings happiness to everybody and everybody has a responsibility to make the customer happy. Did you ever struggle to get that passion and that the purpose and the philosophy behind the company down into a format that could be that is teachable because it's something that i think you can rely on feeling it sounds like you've relied on gut feeling a lot throughout the growth and the decisions uh, of noops so was it difficult to translate that gut feeling and the the reasons that you do something into something that you can into a framework that you can give to a diverse group of people and they will all understand. Yes, and it's definitely work in progress. And just recently did we start recording my voice and my image for every new um, staff member, uh, maybe in Manchester or in Bath, um, um, wherever we go next. So they get an idea of my personality and how it shaped the business, uh, how it shaped Knobs uh, and what I represent in this business. And we know that this is very important. There are certainly uh, guys in the in the stores and girls that can make better drinks than me. But it's about that that vision of giving that the best possible drink, maybe hot or cold, to the customer. That they understand that, that we have that responsibility. But we're using internal media for that um, to convey that message to them. And I noticed that you, that you said Knoops then, and I realized that I've been mispronouncing the, the the name because i've been saying it like knife they're more like a familiar word to, to me so it's, that's that's actually a fun one because it's very often the opening discussion you have with a customer so what does it mean how is it pronounced um and and to be honest it doesn't matter how you pronounce it just enjoy your hot chocolate and come back um but it's <laughs> it's actually so my surname is knob and uh, yeah, the, the, um, the stores are called or the brand is called Knobs. And it, it, but it does make sense because Knob means button and we are working with chocolate buttons. Mm. So it's not just about my name. It's also about the ingredient we work with, but it's about my name actually. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I want to touch on Knopology. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what that is? Um, so Knopology is something we brainstorm or, um, over how, how should we name the process of making the perfect chocolate drink for you. So Knopology is the science or the art um, to produce the perfect chocolate drink for you. So it starts with, would you like a hot or cold drink? What, how sweet or how dark would you like your chocolate? Do you have a milk preference? Maybe um, because of dietary requirements, are you vegan or well, and so on? And would you like to embellish the drink with spices or ingredients? And, and the end result 
is the perfect drink for you. And that process is called knopology because nobody else does it. So we might just as well own that. And I suppose that's almost the title and the packaging for that framework in a sense that we discussed earlier that, that allows customers to receive the same experience regardless of which Knup store they, they visit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So we're very, very open to what the customer actually desires. We don't dictate this is the choice you have. Coming into a store and having 22 different chocolates on the wall can be quite overwhelming for some of the customers. We have dialogues in place to take that anxiety of choosing, of having too much choice away. But okay, what chocolate do you eat? Um, would you like a boost today or something sweeter? Where it becomes more of a, of a conversation rather than next, please, what do you want? You've also, what, what I found interesting, and this is again more of a kind of business-focused conversation, you've got multiple revenue streams now with the stores the, and the ability to buy the flakes online. So I'm assuming someone could make Canups chocolate at home and also a, a cookbook to be able to, to instruct people on how to do this as well. Have these been an integral part of scaling the company and, and how much have you played a role in particularly the cookbook, I suppose? So I always had these flakes in one shape or another right from the beginning on. And this is thanks to my accountant who said, you must have this. It's a brilliant idea. Um, not everybody can travel down to Rye at that, play, um, at that time because it was the only store that was open. They can either order it or um, people want to take it with them to, to take it away and introduce friends to Knorps and, and the Knorpology. Um, so that was always there. Obviously, COVID has accelerated the process uh, big time because uh, stores had to close immediately. And then we we put a lot of effort into the, the online side, the website, develop that, make it uh, easier to navigate around. And uh, the production side of producing those flakes for people um, to have a hot chocolate at home. Those who knew it um, already and who've been to our stores, of course, welcome the and those who didn't know us, they were looking for comfort. And there is no, um, no better comfort than uh, the hot chocolate at home. If you can't go out, at least you can have it at home. Um, yes, fantastic marketing team, marketing team behind it. Th that kind of uh, brings those messages out. Today, for example, we introduced a new dark milk chocolate, which I'm very, very proud of. And that's available in the stores to have um, to drink as a takeaway or in the bowl, but also as flakes at home. So new product, new uh, category, the dark milk chocolate to the customers and then um, with emails and, and social media um, and bring that out to the customers. Very proud of that team. Do you think that it's an integral... So if you're someone who's thinking about... Who, who owns a small store, an experiential store, whether it's um, selling small food cakes, whatever it might be, would you say that having a way that someone can experience that at home, take away a part of the store and experience it at home. Is that something that you would advise any owners of those kinds of store to invest into and to, and to create? Absolutely. If that product you're, you're offering can be taken away and can be enjoyed home, absolutely do it. If you have a sit-in business, how many covers do you have? the revenue increases if okay there's no sit-in i can take it home or i can take it to the park absolutely and um, we are predominantly a takeaway business anyway so people are used to get the drink and take it away but 
um, Easter, for example, a lot of people bought those flakes, the tubes, uh, milk chocolate um, very often, and took them to the Easter lunch they had, just as, a, okay, I, don't, I want to bring something special. Always, absolutely, if you have a product that can be taken away or can be sent, or you can bring that online, absolutely. And even if it's merch. Um, absolutely, like our book. The, the book was a lot of fun and there's a lot of playfulness in it as well, as well as some educational sites. Big production, beautiful photography, but it definitely worth in investing in something like this. And for you over your career and over the growth of Knoops, have, are there any memorable or defining moments for you that stick out? You mentioned one towards the, the start of the podcast. The big one is when my executive chairman walked in and discovered me. He's been following me underground a little bit and, and sat outside the store and had a look at the footfall. How many people are coming in? How diverse is the group of people? Are they coming from far, coming from London or are they all locals? And he was so impressed that the day he walked in into my store and asked me uh, to have a discussion the history of Knops have changed. It suddenly became something much bigger. I think in terms of business, that was the defining moment um, within Knops. And of course, if there's a newspaper article saying it's the best hot chocolate in the world, that makes an impact as well. But yep. Um, but I think it, that was in terms of business a defining moment, the opportunity to take this and bring it further. And conversely, what would you say your hardest day was if you can name one um so i have to go back to COVID, i guess um we just opened our second store uh, and i was um behind the counter because i want to experience it outside rye how does it work when i started sensing the anxiety level of the customers takeaway cups don't touch my cup keep the change so it was this within a week or, or two weeks this anxiety level was was coming up and and of course you had these big plans and everybody's ready to full throttle go ahead and suddenly there's this very dark cloud coming obviously we had to get very creative but nobody knew what's going to happen in week three four five so we knew we had the um the online retail to fall back on but it's not the same as introducing um, customers to the in-store experience and um, explaining Knopology. So it would have to flip, but we had to be very, very fast. And it was that moment when I saw the customers, don't touch my lid, don't touch the cup, keep your change. Where I thought, okay, there, will, there is something coming up, which is quite unpredictable and threatening, I guess, for every business. We got through it. Uh, stronger, more creative, um, one of the businesses that adapted very quickly, um, yet the core product never ever had to change. But that was definitely a fairly dark day, an anxious day, I would say. And what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned throughout your career? Don't try to do everything yourself. <laughs> do what you're good at, um, especially at my age. Um, don't try to be an accountant. Don't get involved in marketing. Um, operations, I have a, a fantastic operational team here. They're much better at it. Um, HR, I'm good at chocolate. I know my chocolate. I know um, my customers. That's what I'm really good at. Um, 
everything else leave it to the professionals <laughs> but i mean you have to be very certain about that and of course again i'm coming back to my gut feeling here the gut feeling that the right team is with you as well that you trust them and and i trust them um completely so i can really focus on what i enjoy doing what i'm good at uh where i want to spend 24 hours seven days a week with and don't pretend to be good at um all the other stuff which i'm not uh, what would you say are your principles for success i think that feeds back to the um the previous question choose your people wisely and you must be able to trust them as i said if you can do it and it is in your character give the tasks you're not good at to the people who are good at it and i'm sure they want to join you as well because there is a balance within the team that everybody does their job which they enjoy and what they're good at and then that team is becoming a success and lastly who inspires you in business is there anyone that you look to for inspiration um so it's not just one person it's broader so what inspired me at the beginning was my family who encouraged me to travel as quickly as possible um, who gave me the confidence my partner who said this is working this will work even though i was still in my kitchen not knowing what to do in in the summer but he was very very um supportive right from the beginning my executive chairman william here who has the forward vision much much wider than i can think and much further into the future than i can think so i'm in the right now and handing over a bowl of chocolate but he's the guy that can see the future of Knobs and it looks fantastic. Um, but he has that confidence. Um, so this is somebody who inspires me a lot that there is something ahead of me. But uh, when it comes to just me, I very often look at everything else but chocolate. I look at art, um, psychology, philosophy, cultures around the world to get inspiration. What is going on? Uh, because I don't want to copy. I want to be unique. And that's why my name is above the shop because it's not a copy off i find that very inspirational when it comes to um, for example let's say psychology to understand people why they desire certain things and how we can fit into this or look at different cultures um, how they develop um, their sweet tooth for example what what kind of role has chocolate played in there so that's very inspirational doing more and more research and and history but there's not one figure it's a whole cluster of ideas and people i am with who inspire me every day i think that's almost like a a, a creativity hack in exposing yourself to as many ideas and cultures as possible and seeing what resonates with you and a mass market and kind of combining these things together to create a new and unique experience. I'm a big believer in that there aren't any new ideas. They're drawn from, they're almost dots that are connected in areas that they haven't been connected before. And I think that's a brilliant way to to generate those ideas is exposing yourself to as many different topics as possible. Because I, I don't know if people would have expected that answer directly from you because you could have said, you know, I spend hours researching chocolate specifically and what creates a good in-store experience. But you've mentioned, you know, you're looking at 
different cultures. You're looking at art, you're looking at psychology, the way that we, and, and lots of people would think about these as, as fields that are miles apart. But I think you've, you're clearly finding a way to bring all of those things together into a unique store experience. But, but that's what it is. I'm using the canvas or the tool chocolate as a translation tool from the the experiences I have when I when I travel to Japan or New York or when I watch a movie or I see an exhibition or I talk to a specific people a person because um, chocolate is an emotional product of mine it does reflect on on my experiences I had um, in the present and in the past and and certainly then in the future going ahead but it's also when you come into one of our stores we don't dictate how you're supposed to feel Again, you have this canvas and everybody comes into the store for different reasons. Some want pure nourishment, others want to go straight back to their childhood, just like me. Others want to travel in an abstract way uh, to the Solomon Islands, uh, where some of our chocolate is coming from. Um, so we don't want to dictate what they're supposed to feel. Everybody comes in with a different craving or desire, and we give them a canvas where they can express it and choose their colors. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Jens. I'm really looking forward to a Knoops opening in Manchester very soon. I'll definitely uh, be paying you a visit. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Alex. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Founders. If you liked the content in this podcast, you can get new content from a new founder every week by following us on all podcast apps. 